Okay, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days, how many of you believe we're in the last days? Do you know the last days started after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended back to the Father? We've been in the last days for over 2,000 years. But we're getting closer and closer to the end of the last days, and that's what we're really seeing. But he says, in these last days, has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Jesus is the heir of all things. <clears throat> Through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I love that. The first part of verse 3. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. Jesus is the express image of his person. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. So there are three things that prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. One is the fulfillment of Messianic prophecy. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of the Messiah, his birth, his life, character, sufferings, death, and resurrection. Jesus fulfilled them all. Utterly impossible for one man to fulfill them all, and yet Jesus did it. The second thing that proves he's the Messiah is the historical fact of his resurrection. And third, the impact of his life upon history and upon multitudes of multitudes of millions of people around the world. Who else in history has impacted life as we know it? Even we, you know, people joke and talk about Waco being the Bible Belt and that we're the buckle of the Bible Belt. We're still worshiping the man that lived 2,000 years ago. Who does that? It's because he's the Messiah, the Son of God. So recognizing that he is Lord and the one we are to model our lives after being baptized into him means we start, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus and we begin to look like him, talk like him, think like him. So let's look at a few aspects of his nature. First, let's look at his humility. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart. That means he's easy to be around. He's accepting and approachable. He's not arrogant or vengeful. He's gentle. Turn with me to Isaiah 57. So one of the things I love the most about Jesus, his compassion and his gentleness. Isaiah 57, verse 15. <clears throat> For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Just amazing, the high and lofty one who could dwell in the, the Alps in Europe. He could dwell anywhere he chooses and he chooses to dwell in a person who has a humble and a contrite spirit. So what does contrite mean? 
The word, the base of the word contrite is the same base for the word talcum powder. And so to be contrite means to be so broken down, so crushed, that there's nothing in you that resists the working of the Lord at all. There's nothing in you that is rebellious against his word to you, against what he requires of you. I brought some powder. And so you can just see, if we are like powder, it's, there's no hard places, there's no resistance, it's just soft. That is what the Lord's looking for, soft, pliable people. There's no power struggle with them. They don't want his will and their own will. They have submitted under his will. They're surrendered to his lordship, and he wants to dwell with people like that. Now, what am I going to do with this powder? Might be the wisp in the wind. Yeah, the vacuum cleaner people would be very happy with me. All right. <laughs> yes, sir. Are you recording? Yes. Great. Where's the money? So, what we do as being humble and contrite, we're not stubborn. Americans are good stubborn people. They're good independent people. We lay all that down. We're not stubborn. We don't demand our own way. Yes, Lindsay? Do you need that mic to record it? Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Ben. They, actually, it does pick up pretty well, but it should be here. Thank you. Who knows what, what else it got? Should we start over? <laughs> we'll start with Reuben's preaching last night. <laughs> Someone told us, we were in Singapore ministering, we got to do that a few times. And one time this, this couple that were very big in business and they, made, they were making DVDs before we even knew what DVDs were. And they said, we would like to make DVDs of all your teaching materials. And you really should do that. In your free time, make DVDs of all your stuff. We looked at each other and thought, well, what is that? And when are we ever going to have time to do that? So we didn't do that. And you can see why. We would have taped the whole thing without microphones, without anything. Oh, glory. The Lord still loves us. He can use anybody. So, okay. Baptize into Jesus' humility until we walk like him and we talk like him and we think like he thinks and we dream like he dreams because we are fully immersed into who he is. So that's the first aspect. The second one I want to talk about is Jesus was a servant. It says in Matthew 20 verse 28, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Just think of that kind of testimony. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. That's why I'm here. I came to serve. Is that our testimony? When we walk into church on Sunday, do we have in the back of our mind, I came to serve? Lord, who needs a hug today? Who needs the $10 that's in my back pocket? Who needs me to give them a good word today? Who needs whatever? Do, do you come to serve? In your own home, do you have that attitude? I'm here to serve. <clears throat> Jesus was submissive to his father, was obedient even to death. That was part of his service. 
He was available to serve other people. And so he began as a young, as a boy really, serving his mother and then serving his half-brothers and sisters. It's, you know, history shows that his stepfather, or whatever you call him, foster father, Joseph died at a relatively young age. But there were other children that had been born in the meantime. And it was the Lord's job as the firstborn to take care of his mother, to work in the job, to raise money. So he remained a carpenter. And then he helped raise his younger siblings. And, and here he was, the son of God, the Messiah. But he's working in the home. And he's working in the shop. And then at the age of 30, he began his public ministry. So wherever you are, you can serve. You don't have to have a big name and be out doing service somewhere else. You can just serve right at home where he's called you. He served his disciples. He served the multitudes by healing, teaching, delivering them from oppression by feeding them physical food. He did that a few times. When we are baptized into his nature, we want to serve rather than to be served. Reuben has alluded to our time in, in High Fall, Mount Carmel, and I want to talk a little bit about that. The Lord moved us to Mount Carmel in 1994 as a response to the pastor saying, can't you move here and teach us how to make disciples? You teach us, Reuben took the three pastors, I took the three pastors' wives, and we began to teach them. We, didn't, we hadn't written anything yet, but we had the, a lot of these notes that we'd already been teaching in Jerusalem. And uh, then they gave him five more men, the head of the drug rehab and the guy that became the main deacon and just different men in leadership. And so Reuben had two discipleship groups. I took the five main women, worship leaders, counselors, youth pastor, youth leader, then I took another group of five women that also were in leadership. And so we had, through every week, he met with two groups of men. I met with three groups of women. And we were teaching. And, and the pastors came to us and said, we believe the Lord's told us there's going to be a harvest here. What do we do to prepare for it? And we said, well, we're, we're all doing what we should be doing. You make disciples to prepare for a harvest. And they said, then we want everyone in the church to go through this material. We, and we had committed to a year there. They said, stay longer and take everyone through the church through this. Now, and we're talking about this particular book now. That, it became this manual. So we had been there, I think we were toward the end of our first year. And we, began, we continued to make disciples. We were encouraging them to start discipleship groups. And we met with the whole church, which was only 75 people. And we talked to them about the need to do this. We all get on the same page. We all know what the Lord is saying to us as a congregation so that we can reach the harvest together. So we know the Father. We know the Son. We know the Holy Spirit. We know God's purposes in making disciples, that he wants maturity in the kingdom of God. He wants us functioning as a royal priesthood. He wants us fervently in love with Jesus. We'll look at those next week. And so they all said, okay, they'll do that. The pastor was real strong in saying, if you're going to serve it all in our congregation, you will go through this material. So others began making disciples. Uh, the pastor's wives did. The pastors did. Some of the others started forming their own groups and just pulling people together and started discipling them with this material. And in the midst of that, the Lord began to speak to us and say, further discipleship is needed. Why don't you use what I used when I made disciples? I taught the Sermon on the Mount. 
So we began to write material out of the Sermon on the Mount, and that's how that, that came about. And what started as one year became 10 years for us on Mount Carmel. But around the second year, more and more people were, were going through this material, and they saw that Jesus was a servant. Now, uh, so a little bit earlier, there had been a need for children workers. One, we worshiped on the Sabbath on Saturday. So that Saturday morning, one of the pastors got up and said, two of our children workers are sick today. We need two volunteers to work with the children during the worship service. And nobody moved. Now, by this time, the church had grown to about 200. No one did a thing because there, no one wanted to miss. We had exciting worship. We had flags. We had, we had all kinds of stuff going on in, in our services. Lots of spiritual warfare, and the preaching was good, and people flocked to the altars to do business with God. You didn't want to miss any of that, so no one wanted to miss it. Finally, the pastor said, can just one person go? No one answered that. And then he said, well, we'll just pray they're okay then. Well, six months later, we had the same, we had the same problem. And he said, we need two children workers this morning. Is anyone willing to miss this service and go downstairs? We met in the basement and um, ministered to the children. And 27 hands went up. 37. 37 hands went up. <laughs> and um, he, so he kind of said, okay, this one, this one. And one guy waves his hands. This fellow was from France. He waves his hand. He says, my hand was up first. I want to go. Let me go. And what we saw and what the pastors also saw is the culture of the congregation was changing into a servant culture. People wanted to serve. They were willing to lay down what, what was comfortable for them and their preferences in order to serve other people. And that should happen to us as disciples of Jesus. We should be people that are willing to serve and look for opportunities to serve. Jesus was also a man of prayer. If you'll turn to Luke 5. Verse 16 <clears throat> says, For he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. He himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Look at chapter 6, verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Mark 1.35 says, In the morning while it was still dark, he arose, went out, and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. So my question to you is, do you have a special place where you meet with God? Is there a special place in your home, certain chair? Do you have a, a, the pa pastor I worked with in South Africa for a while had a kneeling bench in his bedroom. And after he made his bed and did all that, he would kneel at the bench with his Bible and have his quiet time with the Lord there. Do you have a place outside that you walk to? Where do you meet with the Lord? Where do you have a place that is so special for you and the Lord that as you're getting close to that place, you start getting excited in your spirit? Have you ever done that? 
I mean, it's amazing to have your place where you know the Spirit of God is waiting to meet with you. And you're going to hear His voice, and it's going to be life-changing. And as you get toward that place, everything in you starts getting so excited. I want to challenge you and encourage you, find such a place. Every time we move, one of my first prayers is, Lord, where is our place? Where do you want me to meet with you? Is it somewhere in the neighborhood? Is it somewhere in this new house? Where do you want me to meet with you? Find a place that becomes precious for you and the Lord. Jesus had numerous places, but the point is, he withdrew from everyone else to be alone with his Father. His ministry to people was an overflow of his ministry to God in prayer. He needed quality time before he ministered to anyone to hear from the Father, to be with the Father, and to be freshly charged by the Father's presence. He also needed time after he ministered to people to be back in the Father's presence. And I think that's where sometimes we miss it. We know we need to pray before we do anything, before we go witnessing, before we go to a nursing home when we do a service for them, before we have a discipleship group or teach somewhere. We know we need time with the Father. But what about afterward? When you come home and you're tired, you're depleted, you've given it all out, and you sit down in your easy chair, what do you do then? What we need to do is draw close to the Father again be in his presence again and allow him to refill us with the Holy Spirit. But what we tend to do is turn on the TV because we're too tired to think about anything else and we just watch randomly or flip channels. That's what people tend to do and it gets them into trouble because while they're empty and exhausted, the enemy takes advantage. They're vulnerable and they drink of the spirit of the world when they should be drinking of the spirit of God. And, you know, it hasn't been as, as, there was a whole lot of news back maybe a, a couple of decades ago of a number of big name pastors that were caught watching pornography in hotel rooms. And you know what? I don't think they actually planned that. Because, you know, I, I like to believe the best of people, but I really don't think they planned it. I think they did the ministry. They went back to the hotel room. They were alone. They were tired. They were exhausted and thought, let me just watch a little bit of news. And they got on the wrong channel and they stayed there and they got caught. You know, and then, of course, then it led to some prostitution and stuff with some of them. We've got to guard ourselves. God has a call on all of your lives. I don't know where he's going to take you. I don't know what he's going to do with you. But you've got to stay filled with the Spirit of God. And after you've served people, get back into His presence and let Him fill you again. Don't run any risks. When you are empty, don't listen to worldly music. Don't watch unclean videos. Don't even read romance novels that will stir up in you a desire for something that is not yours at that point. So Jesus sent the multitudes away after he fed the 5,000. This is in Matthew 14. He sent his disciples away in the boat, and he himself went up on a mountain, and he prayed there alone. So after ministry, he was found in prayer again. One of the enemy's favorite tactics is to get us too busy or too tired to pray. When we're prayerless, we become powerless. We must spend enough time in the Father's presence listening to Him. To be like Jesus, we need to be people of prayer. That's part of being baptized into the name, the nature, the person of Jesus. 
He was a man of prayer. We need to be people of prayer. And then something else about Jesus, he knew the scriptures. He quoted them when he was preaching, when he was teaching. He quoted scriptures when he was rebuking the devil and resisting temptation. We need to know the word of God. We need to meditate on it. We need to marinate in it. We need to allow the Lord to speak to us through it. It's often through the written word that the living word, Jesus, is revealed to us. We've got to know the scriptures. So I want to say, if you're reading like a chapter a day and you have time for more, then double it. Take in more of the word. There may come a time when we don't have the freedom to have the written word of God. This is the time when we need to get to know it. Read it, study it, memorize, meditate on it, make it a part of your lives. The word is what will renew our minds. It'll change the way we think. It'll change the way you pray because you'll begin to pray the word rather than praying your own thoughts, your own wishes. Instead of praying out of your soul, you'll pray out of your spirit, which has imbibed the word. Jesus lived to please the Father. He had compassion on hurting people. He ministered to them, but he was not controlled by them. He was led by the Holy Spirit. And so we want to have a servant's heart. We want to be willing to serve others, but we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit when doing so because there are so many needs out there, we'll never be able to meet them all. We need to know, Holy Spirit, which need do you want me to meet? And when do you want me to do it and how do you want me to do it? It goes back to, again, hearing the voice of the Lord so clearly. There will always be people that want us to do things that God has not told us to do. And I'm not saying that you would rebel against delegated authorities like your bosses. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there, there are a whole lot of opportunities to serve in many capacities. You need to know what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Let's turn to Luke chapter 4. I want you to see how Jesus handled the expectations of people. <clears throat> you know, I think as we're becoming more and more like Jesus, we want to serve and compassion is growing in us and we, we love missions and we love people. It's so easy to be strung out by doing far too much. And so we need to know how to, how to handle expectations too. So Luke 4, he's been ministering in Capernaum in verse 40. <clears throat> says, when the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Man, that was a long night of ministry. Demons also came out of many crying out and saying, you are the Messiah, the son of God. And he rebuking them did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Messiah. Now when it was day, he departed. Here he's done all this ministry that night. In the morning, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent." And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So here the people pressurized Jesus to stay with them. 
you know, they probably said things like, stay with us, don't leave. All of these people just got healed. All of these people just got delivered from demons. There are more coming from the other areas. There are more coming from other towns. We're having revival here, stay. We've been praying for this. We've been longing for this. Maybe you're the Messiah we've prayed for for so many years. Stay with us. You know, that would have pulled on any of our hearts. We would have thought, yeah, let's stay here. God's working right here. Let's not leave in the middle of what looks like a revival. But Jesus went and spent time alone with the Father, and he knew exactly what the Father wanted him to do. And he said... I must preach the kingdom of God in the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. Do you know the purpose for which you've been sent? Because that's the key. What is the purpose for why I'm in Waco right now? What's the purpose for why I'm in the job I'm in or I'm studying in the classes I'm in or I have the friends that I have? What is God's purpose for me right now? He knew God's will because he had spent time with him and heard his instructions. We are here to please the Father, not to please everyone else and to meet all their expectations. And so we need time with him to hear what his purposes are for our lives. There will always be overwhelming needs. We'll never be able to meet them all. Jesus did not allow the needs of the people to dictate to him. His life was surrendered to the claim of God. So a mark of mature believers is that they're led by God's Spirit. Are you led or are you driven? Are you driven by needs? Are you driven by pressure, by demands? Are you driven by fear of failure or fear of rejection? Are you driven by the need for man's approval? Beware of the need for recognition. If you stay humble in your own eyes, you won't need to be recognized by others. Resist the temptation to perform for acceptance and approval. Know when to say no. That's part of maturity. Know when to say yes. Always be ready to say yes. But also know when to say no. Channel your anointing. God has anointed every one of you. It says in 1 John that the anointing of the Spirit is within us. Channel that. Don't scatter it in all kinds of different directions. So being baptized into the nature of Jesus includes being humble and quick to serve. It's being people of fervent and frequent prayer, praying before ministering, praying after ministering, developing a lifestyle of prayer, being permeated by prayer. It's knowing God's word. So we read it, we study it, so we can use it as we pray, so that we can use it as we counsel people, as we share the gospel with them. We can use it in spiritual warfare. This is our main tool. Get familiar with your weapon. We obey the Father and we're led by the Holy Spirit. Our ministry to others is out of the overflow of our ministry to the Lord in prayer and worship. You know, Jesus went from prayer place to prayer place. And in between, he multiplied food and fed multitudes. Then he'd go back to prayer. He'd come back out of prayer. He would teach. He would go back to prayer. He'd come back out of prayer. He would preach the gospel. He would lay hands on the sick. 
he would cast demons out of people. He went from prayer place to prayer place and out of the overflow of this love relationship with the Father and hearing the Father's instructions, it overflowed into ministering to the people all around him. If you want to minister to people successfully, then be a person of prayer who goes back into prayer all the time. You start your day in prayer. You go back into prayer at some point in the day. You pray at the end of your day. Your life's permeated by prayer. And then out of that overflow of being filled with the Spirit of God, knowing what the Father wants you to do, you're ministering. You're saying the right thing to somebody that needs a good word that day. You're sharing the gospel with someone else. You're sharing God's love with somebody. You're speaking the grace and the peace of Jesus to someone. It just flows out of you because you've been in his presence. So we need to be immersed. We, as being disciples, we're all being disciples, we're all growing as disciples, we need to be immersed into the name, the nature, the character of the Son of God. We need to become like Jesus. That's, our, that's God's goal for us that we would be transformed into the likeness of his own son, that Jesus would be the firstborn, the first one of a whole family of the sons and daughters of God. So we want to look like all these things I've just named. And we want to obey his commission to baptize, immerse others into his name, his nature and character. We've got to walk in it first, and then we can transfer it to other people. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for setting such a clear example for us. Thank you for showing us how to walk closely led by the Spirit of God, by being people of prayer, people of the Word. Thank you for showing us the the importance you placed on ministering to people, ministering to the multitudes that were scattered and weary, that didn't have a shepherd. You cared enough to go into synagogues all over the Galilee and to teach the Word of God. Lord, would you release an anointing upon all of us here to teach your Word? Would you release an anointing upon all of us here to know when to speak to a weary person with a word from the Word of God? Would you release your anointing upon us to become people of prayer that find you in that secret place and emerge out of a place of prayer overflowing with the Spirit of God and ready to minister to anyone we come into contact with. Lord, would you do something new and different with us? Would you baptize us? Would you dip us repeatedly into the character of Jesus so that it flows out of us, it shows in us Jesus walking through the streets of Waco again. Jesus walking across Baylor's campus. Jesus working in so many different places in this city. Jesus reaching out to the neighbors around where each of us live. Walk tall in us, Jesus. See through our eyes, hear through our ears, love through our hearts, touch through our hands, guide every step we take. Lord, would you forgive us for our independence? Would you forgive us for our stubbornness? Today we yield again to your Lordship. We want you to be Lord of our lives. We want to be baptized into your character and your nature, your person. We want your person to take over our person so you are the one that people see when they come in contact with us. Do it, Lord, for your glory, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to go back into our small groups. 
and you will have 45 minutes. So if you did not have enough time in your small group to pray into some father issues that might have didn't have time to surface or there wasn't enough time to pray into them, do that as well. You're also going to look at the leadership characteristics of Jesus and what it means to be a son of God, what that means for us today. How are we fleshing that out? Okay, so may the Lord bless you as you go into your groups. Yes, sir.